TESOL Pop Season 8, Episode 1. Hello and welcome to TESOL Pop, the mini podcast for busy teachers. My name is Laura and my guest today is author Ian McMaster. Ian is talking about his latest book co-authored with Bob Dingen. It's called Training Books Business English. Now, in spite of the German title, the book is in English. And thank you to Hafe for sending me a copy of this in the post. Now, if you work as part of an international team or you're training your students to do so, then this episode is for you. We're going to be talking about how reflecting on critical instance can build better relationships relationships, better collaboration, and resolve potential challenges. I started by asking Ian, what are some common challenges that people often assume go hand in hand when working as part of an international team? What they think are the biggest challenges of working in international teams, the answer they come up with may not be actually the factors that are the most important or the most significant. So what I like to do is to actually just break down the look at the words in the questions we're talking about communicating working together in teams and those teams are international so if we take it bit by bit communication is the first thing and we know that communication can be uh, problematic for all sorts of reasons uh, whoever you're talking to whether it's at work or at home so that's the first thing working can be a problem uh, but more seriously working together obviously can be difficult and working in teams can be difficult and in a sense the international bit is just an extra element that's added on top of it so the fundamentals are the problems of communication the problems of working together and the problems of being in teams where you have goals now what people typically say if you ask them they'll come up with three or four typical answers they'll say well, in international teams, the problem is language. And then they'll say the problem is differences of culture. And then probably the third point they'll come up with is something to do with problems related to the re remoteness, um, which could be to do with time zones and just the fact that people are not in the same room as you. Um, but actually, we could look at all three of those things and sort of challenge that a bit. Um, uh, if language was the main cause of all misunderstandings, then we wouldn't see possibly so many understandings between people who share the same language. So often language is overrated as a, as a problem. There's something else going on. It's not simply the fact that people don't have the same first language. Um, culture uh, is possibly overrated because people have a very simplistic view of culture often. They think of it in purely in terms of country culture, whereas when we dig a bit deeper, culture is a very personal thing with lots of dimensions. So it's not just the country we're brought in. It could be the region, the town. It could be our age. It could be issues of, of gender, of political views, of religious views, of personality. So, you know, the, the country culture element is often overrated. And when we think about remoteness, we often un underestimate the extent to which we, we work remotely, even if we're in the same office as people, theoretically, because they're in another room. We're not sitting on each other's laps the whole time when we're working. We're not able to communicate face-to-face -face the whole time. So in a sense, international teams uh, or the international element can magnify some of these uh, challenges, but actually it doesn't. It, it's a matter of degree rather than a matter of form. So... What I'm basically saying is that maybe we're looking at the wrong place when we're looking at the problems. If it's not those things, what is then 
the the bigger issues that we're perhaps ignoring or not noticing as much. Hmm. Well, I should possibly step back and say, of course, I'm not saying that we're not we're not saying in the book that language um, language issues don't arise. Clearly, if you don't have a, any competence in a language, you're going to you're going to struggle. Uh, there are all sorts of uh, issues that uh, misunderstandings that arise because of language um, issues. That's true, but the kind of slightly uh, irritating answer that we we give in the book ultimately is the problem might be looking at you in the mirror and that's of course something that none of us really want to hear that we are potentially the biggest problem uh, when it comes down to communicating and working together with other people in international teams now that sounds very both annoying and also quite trite when you say that but if we try to put a little bit more flesh on that what we're saying is we're, or we're encouraging people to reflect on their their attitudes um, to what extent do they or do we all um, judge other people too quickly make assumptions on the basis of limited information are inflexible in our approaches for example to people who have different communication styles to the way we speak so some people might think i'm now speaking too quickly others might find i'm speaking too slowly for some people i'm giving too much information for others possibly not enough so we're asking people to reflect in the book on their own preferences and to think about uh, their how adaptable how flexible they are and also how judgmental they are. So in your book, I wanted to explore critical incidents, because this is a feature that flows throughout your book, where you use critical incidents to help uh, the reader to reflect and gain a better understanding why there may be breakdowns in communication in an international team setting. Um, to get us started, could you just briefly explain what a critical incident is? Yeah, this is quite important, actually, because if you type the term critical incident into Google, you'll get a whole range of different answers depending on the context. So it could sound like something, um, you know, a, a dangerous situation where something has gone dreadfully wrong and, you know, an emergency services need to react to it. That's one kind of critical incident. But in this sense, in terms of um, the use of critical incidents in training or intercultural and interpersonal training, uh, we mean something different. The critical bit is not in the sense of somehow dangerous, but in the sense of uh, bringing your critical thinking skills to reflect on a situation. And so a critical incident is typically a brief, a relatively brief description of a situation in which there's a, some interpersonal reaction and there's a, either conflict, there's a misunderstanding, there's a problem, something seems to be going wrong. And... Um, it's not a, or it shouldn't be a hugely detailed thing that gives people so much information they don't know where to start, but it should give them enough information about the people involved in this discussion to be able to start to think about what could be the potential causes of the misunderstanding. Of, well, first, what seems to be the problem here? What seems to be the communication or uh, collaboration problem? And uh, potentially what could be the causes. Um, though it's important to say this is not about finding the right answer. I mean, often we don't ever know ultimately what the cause of uh, communication breakdown is. It's, it's the process of reflection. Now, I know you have examples in your book of critical incidents that you explore. Would you mind sharing an example um, with us for this podcast? 
Yeah, I can look at a, a couple very quickly. I mean, we, as you say, each chapter of the book and the chapters of the book look at different aspects of teamwork, from team building to leading teams to, uh, you know, dealing with challenges. Um, and so individual topics are things like how do we make decisions in teams? Um, how do we build trust in teams? How do we set priorities? Um, and so on. So a couple of examples. Very, and I'll just present them very simply without even less detail than we would, we would have in the book. But I mean, if we can imagine on a project, a project leader and a member of a team. And the project leader... Um, you know, it might be somebody who regularly contacts the the team member to ask how how the project's going or how their part of the project's going. It could be a report they're preparing, it could be a presentation, um, and the team member might be very experienced um, and slightly irritated by the fact that the team leader is, in his or her view, constantly. Uh, you know, which may only be once a week or three times a week, asking how things are going. So a situation like this can lead to potential communication problems and problems of collaborating because the team member might, might feel there's an issue of trust here. Why is the team leader constantly on my case, constantly asking what's going on? Don't they know that I've been uh, you know, successful in the past, can let me get on and do this? I know when the deadline is, kind of leave me alone. I, I know what the brief is. Uh, I'll deliver on time. Um, now, that, of course, that might not be the motivation of the of the project leader at all. In fact, the, the other ex- there are various possibilities what it might be. But if we go to the other extreme, it actually might be a very positive thing that the, that the project leader is wanting to show a sense of care for the other person, interest, support, um, wanting to. Uh, you know, make sure, make clear. I'm available if you need me. If you, you know, if do you need more information? Uh, are there issues you want to talk about? And so, it could be completely the opposite to the way that the team member perceives it. What's really that stands out about that particular example is how. Um, when you were talking about the, the potential solution going forward to help eradicate these type of misunderstandings is to communicate more clearly about how we work and how w- the best situations for us, like almost like our own personal work manuals. And I think often in workspaces, um, we often dive very quickly into the work itself, the task itself and what needs to be done. And we don't normally spend much time talking about how we best perform and what sort of support we need and what that support looks like so that's a really interesting layer that seems so obvious but is so often missed yeah we tend to I mean often we're doing repair work after a problem has already arisen in fact there's even a stage before that where we don't even realize there's been a misunderstanding or a problem we're unaware of the fact but then if we become aware of it then we might want to repair it and again it it's it's easier said than done I'm well aware of this um, I, I'm well aware when, when writing the book of all the things that I failed to do in my own uh, working life or communication generally. So uh, it's easier said than done, but communicating earlier, and in this case, it could be a team discussing how they're going to work together. So rather than maybe focusing on, let's say, the, con- the country cultural backgrounds of the different members of the team, if they have them, focus more on what joint culture is the team going to build for itself about uh, how they're going to work together, how they're going to communicate, how they're going to um, 
you know, uh, create trust, how they're going to take decisions, um, attitudes to deadlines, and this kind of thing. So it's it's more about creating culture rather than um, sort of seeing culture as a, a, a cause of problems. Now, I know you have uh, perhaps one more critical incident to share. That trust one was absolutely uh, fantastic. I think we could just talk about that for the rest of the episode. But would you mind just sharing one more with us as a contrast? Well, well, another one um, that we have in the book is about, um, again, a, a team situation where uh, a team member has given the task of producing a marketing uh, campaign for a client and the team leader wants the market wants the uh, the campaign proposal to be communicated to the client by let's say the end of tomorrow uh, because that was the deadline that was agreed the team leader is aware possibly that the team member doesn't think that the proposal is 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 as good as it could be is not yet complete um, but the team leader wants to present it nevertheless now in a case like this there's a potential conflict because a team member producing this proposal uh, wants to do it if not perfectly as near as if they can to perfect maybe for the and that could be the priority of the team member the team leader's priority or uh, bigger priority might be keeping t- absolutely to the deadline that, that had been agreed to the client. Now, obviously, in some cases, there may not be any conflict between these two. But if there are, if there is a conflict, then again, you don't want to get into a blame situation where the team member thinks, oh, the leader doesn't care about quality. And the, the team uh, leader thinks the team member doesn't care about deadlines. So, and this is, you know, again about prioritizing, and I think you can see what actually should happen here, or what should have happened. Obviously, is, is earlier discussions about how we're going to do this, what level of quality is required, how sacrosanct is the deadline, and and also potentially, obviously, discussions with the client themselves as to, um, you know, is there room for an extension of the deadline? Often there is, actually, if you if you approach people. Uh, you know, in the right way. Sometimes there isn't, um, as I discovered with the book, but sometimes there is. And, um, you know, and again, so more communication. Um, and a lot of this is about expectations. Um, and it's about, again, team culture, how are we going to work? And of course, there'll still be differences in people's personal attitudes, but then um, at least by communicating that we've brought them to the surface um, and in, in doing so, have, have possibly reduced their potential to cause unexpected conflict. Thank you so much, Ian. So for our listeners, the link to Ian and Bob Dignan's book is in the show notes. And I've also included links to their LinkedIn profiles so you can follow up with questions and continue the conversation. If you have a question or an idea that you'd like to pitch for TESOL Pop, then you can contact us via Instagram, Facebook, or the website tesolpop.com. Finally, you can support the work we do at TESOL Pop by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast, by sharing today's episode with your community, or by even buying us a coffee at ko forward slash TESOL Pop. <laughs>